I am so pleased to welcome Kate Daly to How to Build a Village. Kate is an entrepreneur and co-founder of Law Tech Scale-Up Amicable, which was founded after her own traumatic divorce. She's also the host of the Divorce Podcast, which offers excellent resources for people whose relationships are ending and those who want to support them. I'm a big fan of this podcast. And Kate is also, as I am, a passionate supporter of women's sports. So we're here to talk about lots of things, but we're going to kick it off talking about football or soccer, as my American friends call it. So Kate, welcome. The FIFA Women's World Cup just ended. What did you think of the tournament? Oh, hi, Jill. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Gosh, what an amazing sporting spectacle the tournament was. I watched all of the England games, most of the other games, and that's no mean feat because at some points uh, we were away. So uh, in Canada, I was in Canada, so I had to get up at three o'clock in the morning to watch one of the games. But I think wow. it's just been a massive showcase of sport and the level of professionalism, the closeness of some of the games, some of the goals, some of the goalkeeping. What an absolute festival of sport it's been. It's been fantastic and such such engagement across such a wide variety of topics to do with women's sport as well what I've really liked about this is that it's got people talking and it's got some really important questions being raised about sport in general and women's sport in particular what sort of questions well I think when you you look at the funding for women's sport you look at some of the disparities you know there's been a lot talked about we're not on a level playing field and I think that's certainly true and a lot of the I suppose we've moved from the idea that women can play sport and football to this now, the, the next stage of this next evolution, which is some of the much more subtle um, sexism around women's sport. A lot of the things that have been called out this time round are things like, oh, we've inspired a nation of girls. No, we haven't. We've inspired a nation of people, full stop, mm. a nation. And this isn't about inspiring girls. It's about inspiring people and engaging people in what has been real high quality top level sport and that's you know a really big question for me I think some of the way that we need to professionalize the infrastructure around sport I think that's been a really important debate the difference and the disparities between the women's game and the men's game and between the WSL and you know the lower women's leagues as well and the fact that some of the sporting facilities are quite so poor it's quite hard to be a traveling fan and to go around mm. some of these grounds. Um, they're hard to get to. The facilities are really appalling. You know, there's maybe one or two toilets and everyone's trying to queue at halftime. You know, it's, it's mm. small things like that. But unless we have the right theaters and the right stages for people to play on, you know, we're always going to be trying to lag behind. And we we need money, we need sponsorship, and we need a true professionalization you know there's also lots of questions about you know player welfare and I think that's been brought to a head not just not or not by the England team but particularly by the Spanish team and what's going on with the Spanish team in the build-up uh, to the World Cup uh, and subsequently with all the stuff around the manager and everything I think that's been really interesting and telling as well so that it feels like we've had a fantastic tournament mm -hmm. and we've also had a really good look at what's going on and what we need to do next to really move this along to the next stage. I mean, much is, of course, sort of a nice, as an England fan, you would have liked to see England win. And the U.S., of course, got knocked out so early. 
But to me, the positive takeaway is that there is investment in other countries, other yeah. leagues. So you're not, I mean, you don't want to see the same team win every yeah. tournament, right? So you 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 want to actually see a competitive match. So that was my positive takeaway. And I was traveling in the U.S. during much of the tournament. And it was nice to see even after the U.S. was knocked out, people were still watching. You know, yes. that it wasn't, yeah. they weren't, of course, everyone likes to see the U.S. win, but that wasn't a deal breaker, you know, and then it was always nice to see like in the crowd, you saw men cheering is what it, it wasn't just like women cheering on women. It was like everyone cheering yeah. for the sport and certainly viewership figures were great and the attendance figures were great. So it was a, a success. Um, there's so many metrics. I like yeah. wish I had been there in person, but it was oh, great watching even at bizarre hours. And it was great how gracious everyone was i mean after um sweden knocked us out out i um texted some of our former football playing teammates yeah. to say yeah. hey great game and they were like yeah good great well played you know just, yeah it was I, I i love um the the this is sports people ship around it all yeah no i do and you know when they told the uh cameraman to sort of effectively bugger off um when they were filming the Nigerian goalkeeper after she'd after they'd lost against us and that kind of stuff you know it's it's that camaraderie that sportsmanship that I think really was on display in this tournament and I loved it I love the care that the players have for each other the respect that they have for each other and genuinely you know wanting other teams to do well like you say nobody wants to see a 10 nil 8 nil thrashing mm. of a smaller nation it just it's tedious and we've gone past that and I think you're right this was a real milestone tournament where everybody that went deserved to go and everybody held their own and everybody had moments of brilliant all, brilliance all of the teams and I think that was really really important. Now where do you think we go from here I mean do you think and, and how far are we from from parity do you think everyone's woken up to the brilliance of women's football or is, is it still going to be competing for attention with men's sports or is it just we making slow progress what do you think happens now I think there's a huge way to go before we get any kind of parity and whilst I want parity on some levels I don't want the women's game to simply feel that to be successful it has to emulate the men's game because there's mm. a lot wrong with the men's game mm. and i don't I want the women's game to create its own niche, its own sort of uh, route map to being a, a global sport. I don't want it to feel it's got to copy. You know, like I always think of it in the same way with it's kind of like uh, women in the workplace. Those first feminists copied male behavior. You know, you look at somebody like Mrs. Thatcher, who effectively emulated the male characteristics of what success was like, whereas mm -hmm. now we're encouraging female leaders to bring their own qualities and not to have to copy what has been traditional male leadership qualities and it's that that I think we, I want to see and that's where I think the game's going to go I think the first thing is tournament it's great that people support tournaments and it's brilliant that it gets huge viewing figures I mean the viewing figures in the UK for the final it was the biggest event on TV since the King's coronation so you know mm. the biggest event of the year apart from that fantastic that needs to translate into people going to see the WSL and supporting their local women's teams week in, week out. And certainly getting the broadcast schedule sorted last year, that's definitely had an impact. You know, knowing that there's a fixed time 
on the TV each week when you're going to see women's football. Those sorts Mm -hmm. of things help build habits, and that's really important. And I think getting the infrastructure in place, so the FA, I think, have got a really big job to do here in putting the money behind this. And it is, it's all very well for people to say, oh, you don't want to run before you can walk and all that kind of stuff, but you've got to put the money into the sport in order to build the facilities, make it easier um, for women to participate. And then you'll get the drag through of a rich pool of talent coming through and more people and more opportunities and more competition for the places in the very top clubs. And that will then simply elevate the standard. And that's really, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good start, but it's, it's one step. We still have a gender pay gap across all industries in this country. Mm. Um, you know, we still only earn 80% of what men do. We're not going to solve that in women's football straight away. Um, but I think it, it can learn from other sports like tennis, for example, um, where they do a much better job of um, equality. Because, of course, you're more than a passionate supporter of supporter of sports. You're also a, a tech entrepreneur. So will you talk a bit about um, how you're bringing this passion for parity to the tech space where you've started Amicable with a with wonderful Pip Wilson and what you're working on and how you've been able to change the game there. Yeah, so um, Pip and I set up Amicable after um, I had a really awful divorce. Um, And having been through something that was so expensive emotionally, you know, and sort of economically, it sort of struck me that there had to be a better way of doing things and that our system of essentially creating sides, two sides that then battled against each other to get their side the better outcome. It just didn't seem like that fitted with a model of family and a model of child welfare or anything else. It it felt like that ran contra to those things. And I just, when I started to think about it, it, it made me think, well, this doesn't just, this way of doing things doesn't make any sense. But obviously you're confronted by the fact that that's the way we do things in this country and not just in this country, but seemingly around the world. And I started to think, well, I think there might be a better way of doing this. And obviously there were services like mediation around um, where, you know, you can go and sit with one person who will help you come to an agreement, but then it stops. And then you still get thrown back into the old system of, well, then you've each got to go and have it checked by a lawyer and that then creates two sides and so on and so forth. So I started to wonder about how we could do things in a different way. And I knew that there had to be, if if we really wanted to change something, then we'd have to do it at scale. And in this day and age, the only way of doing anything at scale really is, is through tech. And so Pip was uh, the the absolute kind of best techie that I knew. She'd just mm-hmm. um, exited uh, her own tech consultancy. So she had time, she had funds, and she had the knowledge Um, to be able to really scale a business so I had an idea that I had no clue about how to scale or how to turn that into a business I just knew I had an idea and and Pip brought all the other stuff that has to sit alongside a good idea in order to make it into a successful business so we started we started to challenge the way that things were done and try to look at it from a, a different perspective and put ourselves easier for me than her because I had been divorced but try to put ourselves in our consumer's shoes and do it and and let one of the guiding principles of the business be everything has to be done for the consumer and with a sort of consumer perspective in mind 
Whereas I think a lot of traditional law firms do put the law at the center of everything they do. Uh, mm. And understandably, they've been brought up through that system. They've obviously spent years and years studying it and everything else. So they see the law as a central factor in what they do. We see the people as the central factor in what we do. So mm. we're coming at it from a very different perspective. And when you change the perspective, you create lots of different ways of doing things. Mm. And so it's not that lawyers don't have a place. Of course they do. And for some people, the lawyer route is absolutely the right route because they need the protection of somebody negotiating on their behalf. It might not be safe uh, for somebody to directly negotiate with their former partner. So I think for us, it was about a lack of choice in the market space and seeing that gap and thinking, well, you know what, there's a there's a different way of doing things that fits very nicely into that gap. And, you know, certain things came together. We have been an online system from the outset. And prior to COVID, people would sometimes say, oh, no, we, th we think we really want to sit down with somebody in the same room. Well, since COVID, no one's ever said that to us. Mm. <laughs> um, and the world has changed um, and is changing. And we kind of knew that was coming, but the world wasn't quite ready for, a, for it all to be digital at that stage. And the world has done a big step change after COVID and it's made digital services just feel way more normal for people. So there are, we've had some kind of luck in terms of the way the market is going. Um, but I think the market is coming to meet our model and more and more services out there are looking at helping people as a couple. You know, if you're a couple and you've got a family and particularly if you've got a family, you're always going to be in each other's lives. So you, you have to have a relationship and, you know, focusing on that becomes one of the primary goals of divorce rather than how much money can I get out of him slash her? So, yeah. I do think you guys have been visionaries. And I remember Pip saying to me at a, a grassroots football gathering, maybe probably like circa 2016 or 17, right now we do a lot on our phone. I think we're all about to do everything on our phone. Mm -hmm. And I keep thinking that when like the kids' primary schools, like pushing you to the app to pay for mm -hmm. meals or, or school trips or what have you. I mean, that is such a turnaround for where we were, you know, less than 10 years ago. We we're like, oh, smartphones are cool. And maybe I'll watch some YouTube videos, but then I'll go back and and do things, uh, you know, on my, on my desktop or my laptop. And now it's like, I mean, it's everything. So the fact that you guys were from the outset, looking to the app to do things that were traditionally yeah. even paper tasks, I think was, um, is amazing. And now it's everyone else's following. Yeah. And but it's like all things that we, we, we've never had the view that technology is the panacea and the answer to everything. Mm -hmm. The I think what makes the service successful is that it is the marrying of the human and the tech that makes the difference so we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. we're not saying one is good and one is bad and everyone is slightly different and that depends on your age you know your job your background everyone's slightly different about what that mix looks like and being able to mix up what that mix looks like for people I think is definitely one of the one of the reasons it's been so successful and so what do you guys have coming up next and where can people find you so, I mean, at the moment we're just doing, so we've had an app for a while. So we have our services mm -hmm. um, and we have our co-parenting app. We're doing some new releases on the co-parenting app to make mm -hmm. some improvements, all driven by customer feedback mm -hmm. and making things easier for people to set up accounts uh, together um, so that it's not so sort of, you don't have to 
speak to people if you don't want to you can use the app as the whole communication mechanism and we've got other things like putting on uh, expenses and so on and so forth so the Mm -hmm. app app for co-parenting becomes much more standalone and self-sufficient so you can use the app whether you've used solicitors or a mediator or a whole bunch of different services and that's just called the amicable co-parenting app Mm. Um, and then we're we're mm. looking at this point we have created a new dashboard for customers again driven by um, the novice perspective because for most people when they get divorced they're doing it for the very first time and even when you've only been even if you're the new kid on the block like amicable is even when you sort of been doing it a few years you you become an expert in it so it's really hard to keep that same new person consumer perspective so we've done a lot of work with consumers looking at how to simplify language how to make it more intuitive Mm -hmm. to get inside the mind of somebody doing this for the very first time so that you don't have to ask lots of questions because everything's explained so trying to make people to reassure people make them feel like you know this is something that feels natural to use and something that isn't going to add to my kind of current stress level so that's really important as well um, and we're we're hoping to do some more investment in the marketing side because one of our big frustrations is that we want to try and reach more people. We want more people to know that we exist so there is more choice in the marketplace. And when you're kind of a startup and a scale up, um, your sort of budget's always really tight. And we can see from when we did our last investment that it pays real dividends to be able to market across a broader number of channels. So being able to really um, become a household name so people know who we are. Um, And even if you're not sort of divorcing, but you might know somebody who's divorcing, you've got lots of resources there to be able to help you be the best friend you can be. Mm. And I think one of the things that kind of we've realized is that friends and family play a really big role in people's divorces and often with the best sort of intentions, um, people give advice uh, to their friends and family when they're divorcing that can actually put them on quite a negative path and can be really quite um, kind of tricky in terms of how their divorce journey starts to pan out. So that early advice and helping friends and family give the right early advice, that's really important to us so that we can create the best opportunity for more people Uh, to be amicable throughout. And I love the guests you've had covering this on the divorce podcast. Um, So really there's something for for everyone. What do you have coming up in the coming weeks and months on the podcast? Um, So we've done, I've just done an episode on sex, which has been really interesting because sex and relationships and one of either the podcast isn't just about divorce, it's about relationships more generally. So looking at that point in your life where um, you're in midlife and sex might be one of the sort of issues that you're encountering in your sex drives might be in opposite going in opposite directions, or you might have lost the, the ability to actually talk frankly about what you want and what you like and what you need. So I just did a really um, interesting sex podcast with Ian Kerner all about relationships and sex. And that's definitely worth a listen, whether you're divorcing or not, because it's all about how to get your sexual relationship back on track. So that, that's such a really... good episode. It's <laughs> I love that you speak so candidly, you know, and it's because um, as, as people really don't, even people at 
our stage in life. And it's like, why not? You know, like we're all adults. And it was um it's nice that it was candid without being sleazy and without being yeah. like overtly suggested, but just, just suggestive, but just it's it's a nice thing to have in your relationship. And yeah. here's how we can work to make it better for everyone. And um I thought that was great. And you you handled it all very well. Oh, thank you. I guess sometimes uh, um, Holly, who produces it with me, sometimes she does screenshots of my face when people say, you know, rude words. And she <laughs> says to me afterwards, I was like, oh, my goodness, did I really did I really look like that? I hope I didn't convey that to my guest. But yeah, no, Ian was brilliant. And like you say, he's got a very matter of fact way of talking about stuff. Maybe not one to listen to in the car with your kids on the school run. <laughs> um, but we do put little warnings in the show notes for people so you know which ones are okay and not okay. But yeah, so that's really good. And we've got some, I've just done one, um, which will be coming out in a few weeks, all about um, kind of the emotional journey around midlife and um, a, a kind of a holistic approach to building well-being and building self-confidence so not anything faddy but just looking at it in a sort of much more whole and total way where we go through natural changes in our bodies as we hit midlife our relationships mm. naturally change because our family dynamic change our kids are growing some of them are leaving home and so on and so forth so just looking at what happens to self-confidence around those times because periods of change and transition can be real crunch points for people separating and sometimes mm they separate unnecessarily but then once you started you go down a road and it's too hard to come back so trying to look at those crunch points and get people to think about how they can navigate them well mm -hmm. to you know put off the ending of a relationship that's kind of really important as well so you can always listen to the episodes with two different hats on one if you're actually going through a divorce or separation and it's you know you, you're taking it at face value but another is all about relationship health and, you know, listening to people's stories when they come on and talk about their own journeys. Um, like the guests we had on today when they were talking about their own journeys and how important their journeys were in shaping what they now do in terms of coaching people through that midlife stage. That's really fascinating. And that's what I really love. And then I we've got another one. Sorry. Sorry. I, I like the one you did last year on um, the role of the menopause or menopause in yeah. relationship breakdowns. And yeah. that's just something that people are talking about more now, just the topic of menopause, but it's great to have that more out in the open. Well, to make that link as well. And to say, you know, there is a link between women hitting menopause and a spike in the divorce rate. And so mm -hmm. knowing that helps you navigate that time and helps partners become better informed about what their wives are going through and it helps you know wives feel that they're not going mad that they're not you know out there on their own that there is support out there and whether that support is emotional or whether it's medical or whether it's psychological they've got you've got different avenues you can reach out to in order to protect the health of your relationship because you know that's kind of what it's about at the end of the day well thank you for the wonderful content i really have enjoyed listening Oh, thank you for listening. It's been absolutely, uh, it's a joy to do the podcast. And if, you know, anyone's ever got any suggestions, we're all ears. You just need to tweet me or it's not tweet anymore. Or are we still tweeting, <laughs> but we're calling it X. I'm not, I haven't got my head around this yet. X me. I don't know whether you can X somebody or whether if you X somebody, that's like giving them a kiss and then we're in all sorts of trouble. So I'm not sure what to do. Tweet me on X. I don't know. Is that how you say it? I get, I, yeah, I'm still getting my head around it. 
at Kate underscore daily. So you can definitely do that. And you can listen to the or download the divorce podcast um, from your favorite listening platforms. Mm -hmm. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the divorce podcast. So yeah, but any ideas we love, we love um, listener suggestions for guests and stuff. So yeah, please, please shout me. Well, we all will. Well, thanks for your time. Thanks, Jill. It's been lovely talking. 